Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in episode 25 today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend Ryan. Ryan, what's up, buddy? You know, it was my friend and co-host, Ryan. Now it's his friend. I'm slowly getting rooted out here, and I'm the only one who shows up every week. I, I, it's it's amazing. You, you are a grandmaster at this thing, sir. I, kudos to you, because uh, you are slowly just inching me out, and one day it's just going to be the Joshua and Gas Show, I guess. That's right. I'm a mischievous man. <laughs> well, Ryan, we got some interesting uh, folks coming on the show today. Before we jump in, though, we have a few announcements. We'll- uh, a few announcements that we wanted to make. Yeah, uh, so you know, next week, Josh, we have um, the folks from Rosalind Oil and Gas. There's a huge conference going up in Midland, and uh, we got uh, Denny Pilcher from Rosalind Oil and Gas to come on next week to talk about that. So if you're out in the Midland area, it's a free conference to attend. Uh, they have a just a, a big following, and so um, you know he's gonna come on next week to talk about that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's good, you know, it's good, good, good free conference. You know, some of these conferences you go to, Josh, as you know, you know, you pay three, four, five hundred bucks. And here's one. If you're in Midland, it's free. Uh, I think they have a golf tournament, some other stuff. But anyways, he'll be on next Friday uh, to discuss that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, you know, we got uh, we got some interesting, interesting news with the, the flood and effects that's having in East, East and South Texas. Uh, we got a few people that are going to come on and give us some some updates with things that are going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have uh, David Blackman coming on today, and then we have uh, Sergio Chapa, and we have on uh, the folks from the the Port of Corpus Christi to kind of get us updated on what's going on down there. And uh, while I'm saying that, before David hops on, which will just be here in a second, um, a couple things, Josh, that we need to remind the listeners of. First off, if you could leave us a rating and review in iTunes, uh, you know, five stars, I think, is the only thing that we we would we, we take, right, Josh? We don't take anything less than five stars, but um, <laughs> but but a rating and review in iTunes, we'd love to get that. Uh, it helps us get the show awareness out and me and Josh were just talking offline here you know the awareness of the show is really growing we're having people reach out to us and ask us questions and we have some folks looking at sponsorships and all kinds of stuff so we would love uh, if you could help us out with that and then the other thing is uh, Josh and I have been working on a Texas oil and gas newsletter and we hope to have that out we don't we talk about it for a while now but uh, September uh, the 11th I think is the day we're tentatively working for and here's the thing with that you know Josh and I look through a lot of articles throughout the week and we can only talk about a handful and, and on a day like today we really don't have time to talk about any because we're bringing on guests. And so this newsletter will give you um, insight on what's going on in Texas. It'll come out probably twice a week and uh, be a good spot for you, uh, curation of news for you to be able to follow um, you know, what's going on in Texas and uh, just kind of keep your finger on the pulse because we can only talk about so much. And, uh, and so this is a good way to kind of follow everything, all the different moving parts. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, Ryan, we got uh, at least seven articles today that I had prepped, but we had a few guests that reached out to us. So uh, we're not going to hit any of them. We're going to be just interviewing some guests today. And uh, so the newsletter will be perfect for getting all all the stuff that I find that's actually uh, pretty interesting. I think will be helpful. Yep, and so we will. Uh, that will be on globalenergymedia.com. We'll tell you how to find that um, when it comes out here in just a few weeks. All right, we got David Blackman back on with us this week. David, uh, jumping right in, man. Uh, there's a Bloomberg article that came out that uh, analysts is predicting that a 10% delay of U.S. fracking could happen as a result of uh, the Harvey flood. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this line of reasoning, David? Oh, I'm I'm kind of skeptical about it. I, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in the wake of a catastrophe like this, you're always going to see kind of hyperbolic uh, projections like that. I. You know, I mean, I don't want to 
downplay the guy's uh, expertise. But yeah, things are going to get delayed to some extent because, you know, uh, the, the storm did cause flooding in some of the areas where uh, uh, production is going on. And of course, there's going to be disruptions in the supply lines, too, as we're already seeing. Um, Colonial pipeline shut down and, and a lot of other uh, pipelines aren't running. And, you know, with the refinery shut down, it is going to cause a lot of well shut-ins and all that. Uh, but as time goes on, that's all going to be reactivated. The drilling projects that are being delayed, you know, are going to, uh, what companies will do is just kind of try to speed up the timelines. And, uh, it, you know, uh, within six months, I think probably we're, we're going to see that, that most likely shale production probably uh, ramped up as, as it was projected to because uh, there, there are a lot of ways to make up delays like you know, one thing, uh, David, I thought about when I was looking at this is that, you know, if we have, we do have refinery, we're about to talk about this in a second, refinery shutdowns and stuff like this. If you if you continue the fracking at the current pace and you're pumping product out, you, you know, there's nowhere for it to go if the, the, the right. refinery just shut down. So actually a slowdown, uh, in the short term at least, is actually probably what needs to happen even if there wasn't flooding that was causing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, to the extent there is a slowdown, and, and, and just let me be clear, over the next month, there will definitely be a slowdown. Because Motiva's down for two weeks, and, and the Exxon Baytown refinery's down for a couple of weeks, and so yeah, I mean, there's no place for the for the stuff to go, and so yeah, wells are going to get shut in. There is going to be a slowdown, and that's good for the supply demand picture globally. Uh, I mean, that's just a positive, right? Um, but you know, the the other side of it is what companies worry about is when you have to shut in production. You know, that that impacts your cash flow and your profitability, and stock prices will take a hit and all that. So. Um, I just I worry about articles like that making it seem like, you know, a people who just read the headlines are going to think, oh my God, X producer right. over here is going to lose ten percent of his profitability. No, that's that's not going to be the case. Right. But there will be a slowdown. Well, David, there's a, another article uh, on the Washington Post where the EPA extends a waiver on motor fuel contents. Um, mm-hmm. For our listeners, uh, David, what is this waiver, and what kind of effects do you foresee it happening having on the well, it's it's a hard subject to describe in 50 words or less, but I'll do my best. <laughs> so, so we the EPA has these uh, requirements for refiners to blend specific blends of ethanol and and other uh, blending agents into fuels to be delivered to specific parts of the country to reduce haze and ozone, right? And in the summer months, there's like 130 different blends these refiners have to to try to manufacture in the right volumes and deliver on time. In the winter, uh, after you go off the summer blend season and into the winter blends, there's only a handful of different blends because the haze issues occur mainly in the warm months. And so what EPA has done is is said, look, refiners, in the the wake of this catastrophe, we're suspending the summer blend. We're going to end the summer blend season early. It normally runs into October. And, and they're just saying, okay, we're going to winter blends now to simplify the process when the refineries get back online. It'll make them easier to recover and, and begin producing their full streams in, in a quicker amount of time. So that's really what that is. So the obvious question, I think, David, at least from my perspective, is, is if we can do it right now, then w- w- what's the purpose of this? Is this something that we, we really need to have year-round, or is it something that you know, the, uh, the EPA has kind of put out there and it's you know, just government over, overreach? Well, 
So there's, let me first say what the EPA says, and then I'll tell you what my opinion is. The EPA says, yes, it's necessary that, that ethanol blended in gasolines helps reduce haze. My opinion is it's all a huge scam, um, it, uh, and, and frankly, there's an awful lot of data to support my opinion that uh, blending ethanol into gasoline into motor fuels doesn't do any damn good at all for anybody. And it's just a, a, a way for the government to support the, the corn farmers of America. Uh, it has distorted, completely distorted the farming market, completely distorted our food markets as all these uh, lands. I mean, you drive down south of Houston on Highway 59, all those fields that used to be rice fields, half of them are cooked from corn. So they can get these subsidies, these ethanol subsidies. And it's just become this big kind of scam. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, there's all sorts of data that indicates it just doesn't really do anything to clean the air. Um, and, and it's, it's a shame, you know, and the reality is the only reason those ethanol subsidies and, and mandates stay in place is because the Iowa caucuses are the first day in the presidential election season every four year. And, and anybody who wants to be elected president has to go to Iowa and say, oh, gee, I support the ethanol industry. And, and because it's, you know, Iowa's biggest economic producer. So, uh, my view is it's it's just a big scam and just one of many that, that get run out of the federal government at the EPA. Maybe maybe this administration will do something to end it. I hope so. Well, well it's funny that you brought up the presidential election. That's exactly what I was thinking because uh, during the last presidential election on the Republican ticket, you know that was a big topic of discussion. You know, and so uh, it caused a lot of a lot of controversy there with uh, Ted Cruz and Trump and what all they were saying about that. So you 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 yeah. are right. It it does it does seem to play an impact. But it, just an interesting side note. Uh, isn't winning Iowa uh, not a good thing for the presidential election? Well, and that's the irony of the whole situation. <laughs> right. These guys think they got to win Iowa, but I mean, the last was it the last three presidents now haven't won the Iowa caucuses. Right, so, right. You know, I'm not I'm not sure how important Iowa really is in this whole deal. Well, David, uh, there's one last article we're going to hit uh, over on CNBC. I think this is probably one of the the most important uh, articles. It's uh, the the Port Motiva in Port Arthur uh, has been shut yeah. down for two weeks. Uh, what what kind of effects do you see this happening on the economy and the gas supply? Well, it's it's huge, and and we're going to see it evolve and come to light over the next few weeks. We're already seeing it in a pretty big way uh, because those refineries are just critical to the gasoline supply, not just in Texas and Louisiana, but all you know around the coast up. up to Maine, really, because um, uh, and the main reason for that is the Colonial Pipeline, operated by Kinder Morgan, uh, gets most of its gasoline from those refineries, and uh, and it delivers forty percent of the gasoline supply to the Eastern Seaboard. People don't realize that uh, an awful lot of the gasoline used up there in the Northeast comes through that Colonial Pipeline, and. And so what's going to happen, you know, Colonial, if you don't have the gasoline coming from those refineries, they can't maintain line pressure. And so they've had to stop operation of that pipeline. Uh, and so until those refineries come back online, it's going to create gasoline shortages, not just along the Gulf Coast, but all the way up to Maine. And uh, we're going to have, you know, gasoline price spikes that, uh, you know, all the politicians are going to point fingers at the oil companies, but it, it, the reality is it's, it's in store, you know, and uh, there's really not much the operators of those refineries and, and Colonial can do about it. Uh, you know, you have to deal with the storm damage. 
Well, in, you know, if you follow the EIA data that comes out every Wednesday, uh, it's stunning how well these refineries operate. They, they stay at like, what, 93, 95% um, capacity. And so yeah. when, when you look at this, the, I'm curious to see over the next two, three, four weeks, you know, how much that capacity drops. Because uh, when you're trying to balance all these things that goes into the oil and gas market, you know, refineries going offline. I remember when the, uh, back in 14 when the price started falling, people were predicting that if they had, um, you know, two, a couple of shutdowns of some of these different refineries, that it could have really just tanked the market. And so um, right. we're not in that same situation. But, again, uh, we're not used to seeing refineries going offline. And some people probably don't really realize how efficient these things actually run. Yeah, uh, they run at very high capacities, much higher than they did, say, 15 years ago uh, because we're producing so much crude oil and, and you know, we haven't built uh, a lot of new refining capacity in this country in a long time. And, uh, you know, they do go down periodically uh, twice a year for periodic maintenance. Right. But, but that's only for less than a week. And, uh you know, this is not uh, part of the regular schedule. So it's going to be a very significant impact. We're going to, I'd be shocked if, if we don't see gasoline prices for regular get up, up to around 350 you know, in that range here over the next couple of weeks because it just is such a huge part of, of the supply. Right. And one final thing before we get you out of here, you wrote a great piece, I thought, in Forbes this week talking about the evacuation and, you know, the government and kind of, you know, the, the catch-22 that they're in during these situations. Um, yeah. what, what made you write that piece and, you know, what were some of the takeaways after you sat down and wrote it that maybe you, uh, you were able to pull from it? <laughs> well, what made me write it, write it was I just uh, I'm stuck here in a hotel that only has CNN as the only news channel and saw them <laughs> carrying critics, you know, having people in these panel discussions criticizing Mayor Turner and County Judge Emmett for not evacuating the city in advance of the hurricane. Well, my goodness, there's six million people in Houston. It would take four full days, if you're lucky, to evacuate the city of Houston, okay? Uh, these guys had 36 hours notice that this had turned into a, a severe hurricane. Prior to that, it had been a tropical storm that really didn't present the kind of threat people thought it did, or, or people, you know, it, it ultimately presented. Um, you know, and, and these guys, Ed Emmett has, has been in public life in Houston for quite a while now. He lived through Rita. He lived in 2005 through Ike in 2008. And during those events, we saw several hundred thousand Houstonians who live on high ground that were under no threat from, from water from those hurricanes jump in their cars and try to leave Houston. And it created just mass uh, gridlock and hysteria on the on the road system throughout the eastern half of the state of Texas. And, you know, those guys were sitting there thinking, if we order an evacuation, even we're very clear, just it's only people in low-lying areas that need to evacuate, half of the other people in this metropolitan area are going to panic and get in their cars and try to get out of here. And had that happened, had they ordered an evacuation and those roads were gridlocked when that hurricane made landfall, we would have had, uh, it would have just been apocalyptic in terms of the number of people who would have died on those right. roads because they couldn't get off them. And it just, there was no good choice here. There was no right or wrong decision to make. They, they, in fact, there wasn't a decision at all. They did the only thing they could do. And uh, it's sad that they, some people disconnected from the whole event, have chosen to criticize them. 
Well, David, thank you for coming on this week. Uh, just for the listeners' point of view, we, we the first three articles we covered today were actually come from a piece that you put out for Shell Mag every day. Uh, it's a great source of curation of news, and um, it's the the top dozen things. I, I can't remember the exact word, but yeah. there's like a dozen articles that you put out every day for Shell Mag. Um, that you kind of go and find, hey, these are good articles uh, to read. And so those are those first three. Obviously, we talked about your Forbes piece, your Forbes contributor. Where else can people find you at? Oh, I have, you know, my own uh, website where I accumulate link to everything I do uh, called DB, my initials, David Blackman, dbdailyupdate.com, and uh, everything I do can be found there. Okay, well, David, thank you so much for coming on, and we will talk to you again here hopefully in a couple weeks. Great. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. All right, special guest Sergio is back on with us today. Sergio, what's up, buddy? Hey, good morning, man. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. How about you? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Staying busy, though. Um, lot, lots going on in the aftermath of Harvey in the world of oil and gas. I'll tell you, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, jumping right into that, Sergio, uh, in the Eagleford, what, what are some of the immediate impacts you're seeing from, uh, from the Harvey? And uh, I mean, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What, what's, what's, the, what's the deal with Eagleford right now? Well, right now everything's getting back to normal, but uh, things kind of kind of hunkered down on Friday when when uh, when Hurricane Harvey hit. Of course, the Railroad Commission did close, you know, you know, various field offices and things, and and you know, as one would expect when you have a hurricane coming, uh, there's a corresponding drop in drilling permits. I'm, I'm going through the statewide data right now, trying to look at it. Um, looks like you know the Permian Basin was largely unaffected. Um, in terms of new drilling permit applications, but you definitely see a noticeable drop in the permit numbers in the Eagleford. Like I'm looking at one week, and it went from 95 permits filed to just 28. Wow. So yeah, that's a that's a that's a little bit of a drop. But again, you would expect that a, a lot of uh, of um, of um, you know oil and gas companies, EMP companies, you know, put their operations, you know, halted their operations as part of Harvey because you know a, a large the eastern end of the Eagleford was in Harvey's path. Uh, I did speak to the uh, Carnes County Sheriff, Dwayne Villanueva, and, you know, I'm happy to report that he said there was no major incidents at all, um, uh, you know, uh, associated with Harvey. You know, no, nothing, no accidents, no, uh, no releases, anything like that that we know of at this time. So that's, that's some good news. Um, there were widespread power failures in, in a large area of the Eagleford Jail. Um, of course, uh, crews are working to restore that. AEP Texas and other uh, utility companies have all been working pretty much around the clock to get the, that, the, the power grid back up. And a lot of these oil and gas uh, facilities have their own generation, you know, backup generators and things. So, you know, the impacts have, have been, have been uh, so far, looks like they've been minimal. Yeah, and so with the Labor Day weekend coming up, what do you expect? Do you expect that you know production is going to be slow for the next week and a half? And uh, with the you know, I noticed that the, uh, the railroad commission was still closed. I think in Houston, uh, at least one or two days ago, I can't remember if they opened up or not. So we kind of got a, a you know a lot of stuff going on here. We, you have their offices closed. Um, you have the holiday. Do you think maybe a week from Monday before things start to pick back up, or do you think maybe uh, midweek next week we'll start to see the pickup? Well, yeah, the railroad commission closed on on Monday, as you mentioned, statewide. So. That's one, you know, one day when we'll see, like, you know, less drilling activity, less permits filed. Um, I would expect things to start getting back to normal the week after Labor Day. That's when activity and permit filings and everything will start coming back to normal and, you know, uh, statewide and then also in, in, the, in the Eagleford and the Gulf Coast region. I think we could, we could reasonably make that assumption. Well, uh, Sergio, we got some some 
an article that came out about a gas shortage is projected. Um, you have any any news on that gas shortage? Um, how long it's going to last? What gas is projected to go up to? Well, um, you know, it's, it's it's kind of funny because it, it, there's there's not really a shortage per se. There's just this hyper demand. I mean, you know, according to all the information I've read, you know, there's something like 233. Uh, you know, million barrels of, you know, refined product in the state of Texas. That's, that's 966 million gallons. Think about how far that'll get you in your car, or your truck, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, but, you know, I mean, so there's inventory, there were some supply chain disruptions, you know, from Harvey, obviously, you know, refineries were shut down and, you know, some pipelines, refined product pipelines had to stop flowing you know, from the Gulf Coast region in deep South Texas. So, you know, that, that's created some, uh, you know, some disruptions. Uh, but, you know, out of social media, you know, the world we live in now, people created a panic and they created gas runs. And, you know, so that, that, that panic actually genuinely made some gas stations run out of gas. You know, and here in San Antonio, we're seeing that. There's, there's dozens of or at least more than a hundred gas stations without gas right now. But, but, you know, rest assured, I mean, life is returning back to normal. Um, I was, I was out at a Flint Hills resources, uh, storage, uh, terminal on Monday and there's a long, long line of, of tanker trucks waiting to get, you know, gas. And, and then yesterday they reported those wait times were up to six hours for tanker trucks to fill up, get their product, take it to the gas stations. Right. And, uh, and today I went back this morning and it's, it's just back to normal as, as, you know, as normal could be, you know, no, no lines around the block or around the corner. Um, I also visited a, a new star energy storage terminal and, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they uh, transport and store fuel for Valero gas stations. So it was normal there too. So, I mean, I think uh, I'm hoping that the worst is behind us and now let's, let all these tanker trucks and all these transport companies do their work and getting now that, that more gasoline's flowing now that the port of Corpus Christi is open, the refineries are coming back online. The pipelines are, are, are getting back up to speed. Um, I think you'll see more product getting to market and just let these, let these companies do what they do best, which is getting, you know, that gasoline from the storage terminals to gas stations. Well, Sergio, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, well, I know you follow me on Twitter, but for listeners that follow me on Twitter, you know that I like to post your articles. Um, I get the I get the actual paper copy of the San Antonio Business Journal, so love following your work. Thank you for coming on this week on short notice. You know, I know it was kind of a, a weird week for you, kind of following some of the stuff that you put out. You didn't get, get your kind of routine was kind of bucked with some of the uh, hurricane coverage. So thanks for that. Uh, but hey, before we let you go, uh, we won't we can't get you on next week. So can you give us that Cabot oil and gas update before we get you out of here today? <laughs> Well, I, I got to run to a meeting, Ryan, just now. But, uh, you know, I apologize, but uh, didn't have time for Cabot. Well, Sergio, thank you so much. Sergio Chapa, San Antonio Business Journal. Where can they find you at on Twitter if they want to follow you? S. Chapa, S-A-B-J. Thanks, Sergio. Talk to you next time. All right, man. Take it easy, buddy. Thanks, buddy. All right, we got special guest Sean Strawbridge. He's the Deputy Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer for the Port of Corpus Christi. Uh, Sean has a press release that was rele- uh, released yesterday on, uh, on giving us an update on some of the restrictions and the reopening of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, can you tell us some more about this press release? Well, we are uh, open with restrictions. You saw that yesterday. The Coast Guard put out a, uh, 
Marine Safety Information Bulletin that uh, opened the Corpus Christi ship channel with uh, daylight uh, restrictions, uh, one-way traffic restrictions, 43 feet draft restrictions, and two pilots per vessel uh, restrictions on deep draft vessels. Uh, we are uh, we did not have the the shoaling that we uh, could have uh, ha- could have had uh, with Hurricane Harvey uh, and the power that it it uh, demonstrated. Obviously, coming ashore uh, just uh, north of uh, of our headquarters here, about 20 miles north. Uh, but we did get some shoaling, and we have core resources that will be arriving uh, over the next couple of days, uh, dredging resources that will begin dredging in those areas that we've identified as, as having uh, some shoaling. Uh, the Coast Guard is now working on uh, recovery of uh, recreational craft. Uh, there's a fair amount of recreational craft that has sunk uh, adjacent to the channel. We have not located or not identified any obstructions in the channel. Uh, so they're going to be working on on that uh, as their next phase in in tandem with the uh, the Texas General Land Office. So we're working closely uh, with our our uh, our partners both at the federal level uh, and the state level. Um, the fact that we're open and the fact that the refineries here we have seven refineries in the Corpus Christi region. Uh, those refineries uh, can refine about uh, just north of 900,000 barrels a day uh, of refining capacity when they're at full. Uh, when they're running at, at full out, um, they are not there yet. Uh, we hope that they'll resume normal operations uh, by midweek next week. Uh, by this time next week, I think uh, most certainly. Uh, and and that's uh, we're we're very fortunate in that regard. The fact that the storm came ashore here, uh, we saw a lot of wind damage, a lot of power outages. Uh, that's all been restored. What we didn't see that you're seeing in Houston and Beaumont. And Port Arthur is uh, the flooding and the flood damage. Uh, I was on the phone with a, a major refiner uh, yesterday who's got uh, plants in, in all of those areas, and, and they're shut down. They had some significant flood damage. And, uh, you know, flooding uh, is going to take a bit longer in recovery than, uh, than, than the wind damage and the power outages that we've seen here. So we recognize how important, strategically important, Corpus Christi uh, is, uh, the refining center is here, to be able to refine uh, transportation fuels, gasoline, diesel, jet, uh, and get those to the markets first, of course, here in Texas, but also to other markets in the U.S. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline is shut down right now, as we understand it. Uh, as of this morning, we had a report that uh, it's shut down uh, for, the, for the moment due to flooding. Uh, we can move transportation fuels via water, uh, via vessel, to East Coast markets. And so, Corpus is, is, is going to be uh, very important for the nation, uh, as we always have been, but I think much more so uh, until we see full recovery from uh, the rest of the Texas Gulf Coast. Yeah, yeah we've talked about the Port of yeah, Corpus Christi on the show a lot and uh, just all the projects that are looking to go down there. And you guys are a pivotal role right now in what's going on in the Permian and the Eagleford. Um, and you, you've covered a lot of ground there. Um, and so just kind of recap for the listener standpoint, it sounds like that, uh, at least from Corpus, the Port of Corpus Christi standpoint, that there was some damage done, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And that's mainly because you guys didn't get flooded. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, again, we did not see the storm surge that uh, had been anticipated we also, the, the eye wall of Hurricane Harvey came ashore about 20 miles north of us. So we didn't also see the wind damage that, we, that you see in places like Rockport, which is completely devastated, uh, places in uh, Ranzas Pass and, and Port Aransas. Uh, if you look on a map, you'll see those locations are, 
literally 20, 25 miles from the heart of the Corpus Christi port. And so we, in, in hurricane terms, 20 miles is, um, you know, it's like the, it, it's like a, a, you know, we missed it by the head of a needle. Uh, so we were very, very lucky. Uh, we did see sustained winds here over 100 miles an hour. And of course, that does create a fair amount of damage. We have some employees who unfortunately lost their homes. Uh, the chairman of our commission lost his home uh, to uh, uh, wind damage. Uh, so we need to make sure we're taking care of our employees. They're our number one asset. Uh, but we've also working closely with our industry partners, uh, with the Corps of Engineers and, and the Coast Guard and, and FEMA and, uh, and the EPA at the federal level, uh, with uh, TCEQ at the state level, with uh, the Texas General Land Office at the state level. And then, of course, all of our regional first responders uh, we've been in tight coordination with them. Uh, our emergency operations center is still operational today. The port uh, has had that open since last Thursday. Uh, it's still operational today. So, you know, we're still going through recovery. We still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we uh, are not going to let up until that work is done and we can get people, uh, first of all, safe. And then secondly, uh, get them back to work and protect their livelihoods. Right. And so as your press release mentioned, this was a record six-day closure for you guys, and then you're under restrictions now. When do you expect uh, to be back at full capacity? We think we'll be, from a ship channel standpoint, uh, we're targeting to be fully uh, open without restrictions by, as I said, uh, middle of next week. Uh, We've got uh, one uh, issue with a drill ship that broke free from its moorings and and, uh, is not in the ship channel, but it's adjacent to the ship channel. That, That rig had been slated for scrap. And so uh, there's currently a salvage team on it. Uh, the Coast Guard has ordered uh, three tugs to sit on it when there's vessels transiting uh, adjacent to her in the channel. Uh, we're hopeful that uh, that salvage plan will be submitted to the Coast Guard as early as today. Uh, and we'll see that vessel uh, uh, towed out of here, uh, uh, hopefully over the weekend, uh, Monday at the latest. Um, but in the meantime, it, uh, it is a concern. Uh, so that's why we've got uh, tugs on her. Uh, right now uh, to ensure that she doesn't uh, uh, break free from where she's uh, sitting right now and, and continue to uh, cause unsafe passage for, for uh, the vessels that are, that are currently transiting the, uh, uh, the ship channel. I, I want to make another point, too, and that is, you know, this was an epic storm. Uh, you look at the amount of rain that it has uh, dropped in uh, on the Texas Gulf Coast, uh, which is record setting. You look at some of the wind damage uh, that it saw. What we did not experience here in Corpus Christi was any industrial environmental uh, uh, impacts, uh, whether it was in the air, uh, air impacts or uh, uh, water impacts. Uh, none, zero. Uh, TCEQ and EPA have been here on site. And I think that is testament to the preparedness that industry has, the investment in environmental preparedness that industry has made, partnered with the Port Authority. Uh, and our commitment to uh, be uh, uh, strong environmental stewards and working with industry to ensure that we're going above and beyond just what's required by uh, federal and state regulations. And, and really, I think, you know, right now, the only uh, impacts we're seeing from an environmental standpoint is, is primarily uh, uh, fuel leakage from uh, uh, sunken recreational craft. Uh, that, that is absolutely huge, considering we're uh, a large uh, energy center. Uh, we're the number one port uh, for the exports of, uh, for export of, of U.S. produced crude, uh, large refining center. And so to have uh, zero environmental impacts, uh, uh, industrial environmental impacts after uh, an epic storm like that, I think is just 
uh, a huge success story uh, in all the collaboration and cooperation that uh, all the stakeholders in and around the Port of Corpus Christi have engaged in uh, in environmental stewardship. Absolutely. That's great to hear. Uh, one final thing, and we'll let you get out of here. Um, Sergio Chapa, who comes on the show regularly, has a report out uh, a week or two ago talking about the upcoming project that y'all are going to do to uh, deepen the channel so that you can bring in super tankers. After the storm has come through, obviously it's, a, as you mentioned, a unique storm, but is there any takeaways where you go, okay, you know what, uh, as we look to change the channel, widen it, deepen it, is there anything else that you say, you know what, we maybe want to look at doing this now? Well, uh, the... The Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project has been, uh, that's a project that we've been trying to get across the goal line since 1990. 27 years we've been working on this. And I will tell you, there's a milestone. You're going to see a press release shortly today. Uh, the Port uh, of Corpus Christi Commission approved as to form uh, a project partnership agreement with the United States Army Corps of Engineers to deepen and widen the Corpus Christi Ship Channel. This is the last bureaucratic hurdle that we needed to overcome to start this project. And we're very excited about that. We, this project was authorized in WERDA 2007, reauthorized in WERDA 2014, reaffirmed in the WIN Act of 2016. It's been a long time in coming. And, the, and it was just purely irony. We had uh, this on, on track to, uh, to have them approve this agreement today, long before Harvey uh, was even on our radar. Uh, they did approve it today. We're very excited about that. That will make the Port of Corpus Christi the deepest uh, deep draft vessel uh, navigation district in the in the Texas coast. Uh, and that will allow our customers and the production that you're seeing in the Permian and Eagleford uh, formations, of which we're very fortunate to be uh, very close to, uh, those customers be able to get those, that product uh, out of those formations, down the pipelines to Corpus Christi, and out to the international markets that uh, that they're slated to serve. So we're very excited about this milestone. It's a, it's a huge milestone in the history of the Port of Corpus Christi, and um, um, you're going to see that press release uh, shortly. Um, we believe we'll have dredgers in the water later this year to begin that project, uh, and we're just uh, really uh, looking forward to the the, uh, the core getting its appropriation. The port has its portion of the the cost share. Uh, we've had it for a, a number of years now, waiting for the Corps uh, to get uh, uh, get this agreement in place and, and to get its appropriation. So uh, we're very excited about it, and uh, you'll see it be a, a huge milestone uh, as we continue and uh, as this nation continues its quest for energy dominance. Well, that's great news. We've talked about the, like as I mentioned, we talk about the port uh, almost every week on the show, it seems like. So we've been following this story. That's good to hear. That's encouraging. And look, thank you so much for coming on on short notice. Uh, your staff worked very hard. And so kudos to all the people in the background who made thank this you. happen. And so we appreciate that. And listen, hopefully in a few months, we can get you guys back on when times are a little bit slower and talk about this project, the impact, because as we mentioned on the show, we talk about, about what's going on down there quite often. We'd love to get some more, more dig a little deeper on this aspect of what's going on. Very encouraging news. And, and uh, where can folks follow you guys? Is your website, Twitter, Facebook, where should we put all them to? All, all, we're on all the socials, our website, uh, press releases. Patricia Cardenas is our uh, director of communications. You know, the JOC, I know the JOC fellows real well. I've known uh, Peter Tershwell for many, many years. I was a, I'm a recovering container guy, <laughs> and uh, we do zero containers here at the Port of Corpus Christi. So it hadn't really fit your guys' pistol. Uh, but I think uh, being the energy port of the Americas and looking at the amount of tonnage that we do and, and how we play such such a strategic role uh, as, as this nation is on its quest to become a net exporter of energy, which I think we're on track to achieve that by uh, 
uh, in the mid 2020s. Uh, the last time the United States was a net exporter of, of uh, energy was 1953. So it's a huge paradigm shift and we sure would appreciate if the JOC would take another uh, look at that uh, sector of the of the uh, the ports and shipping markets because uh, you know the, as I say to my uh, my container friends uh, there is life after containers. Right. Well, here at the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, we will do our best to cover and give you guys all the coverage that we can because we love what you guys are doing. It ties into everything else that we talk about on the show on a weekly basis. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, look, here's to a speedy recovery. We hope everyone's safe down there, get their houses. We know it's a. Uh, we didn't do a show last week because we just uh, you know it wasn't a good time to talk about stuff. But thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, and we will get back with you here in a few months. And uh, let's talk about this project and let the listeners know what's going on and, and all the exciting things that's going to come from this. We appreciate that. Thank you, Ryan. All right. Talk to you later, Sean. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much, Sean, for coming on the show. Uh, it was a privilege having you come on today. Uh, some great information about the deepening of, of that channel. Uh, so exciting news. And uh, I think that's about it, isn't it, Ryan? Yeah, no, great stuff there. Great to hear that they're going to get that project a little bit further down the road and uh, hopefully get it started, as he said, here in a few months. And so that's that's good news. That's exciting news. We talk about, you know, that port and the impact it's going to have on the show um, it seems like all the time, kind of like, kind of like Mexico, mm. unless, uh, except for this is actually in Texas. So it makes sense to, <laughs> for us to talk about this one. But no, great stuff. And uh, just a quick reminder for the listeners, next week, Rosalind Oil and Gas will be on the show to talk about their conference in uh, Midland, which is coming up in October, I believe. But we'll have the dates for you there. Be sure to check out the Port of Corpus Christi. We'll link to their stuff in the show notes. We'll link to David Blackman's stuff, Sergio Chapa. Go check these folks out. Uh, see what's going on. They all have unique content from different angles, obviously, and uh, it's good stuff. So, folks, we appreciate it if you could. Leave a rating and review in iTunes. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. And until next time, keep climbing. 